Hello, good morning, River City. Uh, welcome. Uh, my name is Andy. I am also not a pastor here, nor am I married to Aaron. Um, yeah, uh, my wife Steph and I were small group leaders here. Uh, yeah, I'm not normally the one who is preaching up here, but over the last few weeks, uh, Brandon's been meeting with Alex Reed and myself, and we've kind of been going through like this uh, preaching cohort thing. So it's it's been a challenge, but it's like also been a really good opportunity to learn and like go through the process of studying a passage and crafting an outline and uh, today preaching. Um, so also today's Brandon's birthday, uh, so he's got the day off. So uh, enjoy, bud. Um, don't know how you do this every week. Um, yeah, I especially want to welcome you if you are new here, or this is one of your first Sundays here. Like, we're so glad you're here. We'd love to get to know you and help you get more connected to this community. Yeah, uh, like Becky said, like, come to that vision night next Monday. Uh, and above all, like, join a small group. Like, that's the best way you can get plugged in here at River City. So, yeah, I'm excited to uh, be continuing in our series in John uh, this morning, Gospel of John. And the series has been really good for me and for my heart, and I hope that's been the case for you, too. Uh, if you're new here, you're like me, and you just need a refresher, like what we were talking about uh, every single Sunday. Um, so John's is the final of the four gospel accounts of Jesus. And so uh, this was written decades after Matthew, uh, Luke, and Mark. Like those three had been kind of written and circulated throughout the early church. So John's gospel is unique. Like 90% of it isn't included in the uh, other gospels. And he totally ignores a whole bunch of stuff uh, that the other three talk about. See, but in doing so, he gives us like a whole bunch of like never-before-seen footage of who Jesus is um, and like what he actually came to do. And so it's also unique because of who John is writing this for. So many of the readers of the first three Gospels, like they would have been reading and hearing and learning about Jesus like for the very first time. Um, but it's presumed that John is writing this Gospel to the church in Ephesus. And so like they almost certainly already know who Jesus was. Like we're talking about like second and third generation Christians whose parents and grandparents have been among the first people to find faith in Jesus. And many of them were probably like eyewitnesses themselves. So like they'd grown up hearing all the stories and they were familiar with Jesus, you know, like even maybe like to the point of being like overly familiar. And so instead of just like writing another gospel, like another account of all the things that Jesus said and did, the focus of John's gospel is on who Jesus really is. He's trying to like wake people up from their comfortable familiarity to the beautiful, life-altering reality of who Jesus said he was and then who he actually proved himself to be. Like to move them from like this head-level knowledge to a heart-level belief. And so last week, Brandon showed us in chapter 4 how Jesus controversially chose to go through Samaria on his way up to Galilee. And the, the encounter he had there with like the Samaritan woman at a well and that eventually led to her salvation and like the salvation of a whole bunch of Samaritans who had no familiarity with Jesus. And this morning, as we moved into the end of chapter 4, we're going to see Jesus departing Samaria and going back up to Galilee to the site of his first miracle in Cana, to a people who are familiar with him. And what I want to show you this morning is how Jesus graciously shows us his divine power so that in seeing who he really is, like that our superficial or even desperate faith, that that would become a true, life-giving, saving faith. See, like, Jesus isn't just calling us to believe in his power or his authority. Like, he's calling us to believe in him. Because, like, when we see who he really is, like, that's the thing that changes everything. That's the thing that transforms, like, our shallow, like, murky, self-centered faith into something that is true and life-giving and can save us. So with that in mind, uh, let's pray, and then we will uh, get into the passage. Um, yeah, God, thank you for uh, just like this place and this community and that we can all be here together this morning. 
I uh, just pray that we, as we study your word, um, yeah, just so we'd see you more clearly. Um, help us just like look past our familiarity and our knowledge of you and just like, be captivated by who you really are. Yeah, I just pray that you would reveal yourself to us through your word and um, just that, yeah, that you'd move us from like a head level knowledge that would become like a deep transforming faith in you. Amen. All right, uh, John 4, we're going to be starting in for, uh, verse 43. So, uh, after two days, he left uh, Samaria for Galilee, and now Jesus had himself pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem and at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. And the royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And so he and his whole household believed. And this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. All right, so this passage starts with, uh, with John pointing out that after two days, they're, they're now, uh, Jesus and his disciples are now leaving Samaria and they're heading back to Galilee, uh, which is like the place where Jesus was from. If you weren't here last week or need a refresher, so Samaria was a place that was despised by Israelites. Like Samaritans were viewed by the Jews as like these like uh, spiritual and ethnic like half-bloods, like half-breeds. They were like defiled by Gentile blood and pagan worship practices. And yet, as Brandon showed us in his sermon last week, like when they heard about Jesus just from like the second-hand testimony of a woman who like they didn't even like that much, like they responded quickly with like immediate radical faith. Like they said that they declared at the end of that passage that we know that this man really is the savior of the world. See, to like to Jews, Samaria was a place that was beyond honor, beyond grace, like beyond saving. And yet they honored Jesus, like they received his grace and salvation. And so it's in leaving this place and heading back to the Jewish land of Galilee that Jesus points out to the disciples that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And like, I think John includes this one because like Jesus is probably foreshadowing like what's going to happen to him in his own country. Like these are the guys who are going to kill me, not those guys. Um, but he's also making it clear that like, the way they see him here is completely different. Like their faith is different. Like it's not honoring him. Like in contrast to Samaria, where many believed after only hearing secondhand testimony, like these Israelites had witnessed Jesus up close and personal. Like They'd seen him in Jerusalem and in Cana, and yet their faith was still somehow lacking. Like, it's not deep, it wasn't pure, like, it wasn't immediate. Like, it was conditional, it was shallow. Like, at best, it was desperate. So, in coming back to Galilee and demonstrating, like, his compassionate power and authority, like, Jesus is looking to move their faith along. But I want to show you this morning is that in revealing himself to us through his word, like, Jesus challenges our superficial faith. He meets us in our desperate faith. And ultimately, he produces in us a saving faith. All right, so in verse 45, um, we see Jesus returning to a people who are pretty familiar with him. 
they'd seen what he'd done in Jerusalem. It says they saw him during the week of Passover. The other gospels kind of go into detail about how he had like calmed storms and uh, given like sight to the blind and like cleansed people of leprosy. But moreover, Jesus is returning to Cana, uh, which is the site of his first sign, where he had turned water into wine at a wedding. And it's here where he's approached by a royal official who's heard that Jesus is in town and he's rushed 20 miles uh, to beg Jesus to come and heal his son, who's at the brink of death. And Jesus hears this man's request, and like his response is kind of weird, right? Like he, he responds to the official, and like seemingly to the whole crowd, he says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. Dang, Jesus. All right. Um, like on the surface, this is really harsh, right? Like this guy is just a father who cares about his kid. And maybe it's appropriate given that like one of the only details we know about this guy is that he's a royal official. Like that's the only thing John tells us here. And so that means he probably works for Herod Antipas, who's like called himself king, but he was really just like this puppet leader for Rome. And it was his dad who tried to kill Jesus as a baby, but it was Herod who was going to uh, eventually arrest and murder Jesus's cousin and friend, John the Baptist, and then try to do the same thing to Jesus. But like, despite all that, Jesus isn't scolding this guy for his desperate request. Like, as one commentary puts it, like, this was not a rebuke of this nobleman. Rather, it was our Lord's lament at the spiritual condition of his people. See, like, Jesus is mourning the superficial faith of his own people. Like, it's grievous to him. And now he's using this opportunity to challenge it. Because, like, in contrast to the Samaritans, these Galileans, they grew up in the right families, like, practicing the right religion. Like, they've read the right scriptures. Like, they, they knew all the stories. As adults, they've gone up to Jerusalem and gone to, like, all the festivals. And they've heard about Jesus. They've seen his power. And yet, they've missed the point entirely. Like, they've welcomed him here into Galilee. But their interest in Jesus is just limited to what he can do. For thousands of years, like the Jewish people have been crying out for a savior, and now that they are face to face with him, like they don't even really get who he is. Like Jesus is just someone, I don't know, who like can do something for them. Like it's it's not that they're faithless, it's that their faith is superficial. Like it's just surface level. And like that's the kind of faith, like it, that breaks Jesus' heart. Like it doesn't, uh, it doesn't happen a lot, but maybe like once or twice a year I have to travel for work. And like I don't love traveling for work. I always like feel guilty that like Steph is like having to functionally be like a single parent. And I don't know, like I miss the girls. They don't get to see their dad. And I always try to like bring something back for them because like that's what you're supposed to do. Like I bring them back like a t-shirt or a keychain or I don't know, something dumb. And uh, like I'm not sure if it's in the Bible or whatever. That's what you do, right? Um, but anyway, so earlier this year I was down in Texas for a few days and I was flying back on a Thursday, but like flights into Dubuque, you know, they always come in super late. Um, and so I told the girls that I'd, I'd see them on Friday morning. And, but this time, like, the flight came in on time. Like, they didn't lose my bag for once. It was great. Um, and I knew that I had a chance of making it home before bedtime and seeing, seeing the girls. And, like, I was ecstatic. And I texted Steph if she can, like, hold off on putting them to bed and so I can, I can make it back in time. And I got in my car and I drove up, like, the whole speed limit all the way up to Dubuque. And I made it home in time. And I walked up the front door, uh, up our front steps, and opened the door. And like my oldest comes running up to me, but before I can even get a hug, she just says, "Daddy, where's my present?" <laughs> and like if you're a parent, like you probably know, like you've probably experienced like that kind of crushing defeat, like where your love is met by like a savage five-year-old who cares more about what's in your bag than about you. <laughs> and like Ruby and I are cool. Like I've forgiven her. We've moved past this. Um, <laughs> You see, like, what Jesus is grieving here isn't that, like, they aren't happy enough to see him. Like, it says that they welcomed him, but they're welcoming him for the wrong reasons. You know, they're missing the point. They don't get who he really is, and they don't seem that interested in finding out. 
See, when we just pursue Jesus because of what he can do for us, like our faith is just functionally about ourselves. It's not real faith. It's just like imitation faith. Like It's superficial. See, what's beautiful is that Jesus still meets us in that. You know, but if Jesus is trying to prove this point to the, uh, to the Galileans that their faith is shallow, like, why does he respond to this official at all then? Like, why does he give in? Like, first of all, like, Jesus isn't a jerk. Like, if you're taking notes, like, you can write that down. Um, but, like, secondly, it kind of seems like this official's faith is a little bit different from the rest of the crowds. Like, he's not looking to be entertained or impressed by Jesus. Like, he cares about his son, right? The crowd's faith is superficial, for sure. But like, I guess I would classify this guy's faith maybe more as like desperate. You know, he's got like this desperate faith. Like, there's some amount of faith there that, that can't be denied. Like, he dropped everything and immediately traveled like 20 miles in like a time where I'm pretty sure that wasn't like the easiest thing to do to like come and like beg Jesus publicly to come save his son. Like, he risked never seeing his son alive again. And when Jesus says his son will live, like, it says he just takes him at his word. And, like, I haven't been through seminary, and I can't profess to, like, know all the ins and outs and, like, the mechanics of, like, how faith and salvation work. Like, I'm just a graphic designer. Um, but, like, it seems like taking Jesus at his word, like, that's, that's a good start, right? I mean, it seems like maybe that's where his faith starts to grow a little bit. See, but we can't confuse his desperation here with genuine faith. Like, it's different. It's persistent. Like, there's an urgency to it for sure, but, like, it's still insufficient. Like, he still doesn't really understand who Jesus is yet. But it's despite the, uh, the official's insufficient faith, like Jesus still saves the son. Like he doesn't demand more from the official. Like he doesn't ask him to prove his faith to him or ask him like why he believes that like he needs to go all the way to Capernaum for in order for his son to be saved or like if they don't get there in time and, and the son dies, like why he believes that that's too late. You know, like he just graciously meets him where he's at and he saves the son. But he also doesn't just give in to this guy's request in the exact way that he's asking. He doesn't say, like, okay, let's go down to Capernaum, and he doesn't, like, walk with the guy and then, I don't know, like, meet, you know, like, his servant who comes and meets him halfway, and he, he just, like, he just tells him, your son will live. Like, we don't get to dictate the terms of our faith and salvation like Jesus does. And the problem with a faith that's dependent on miracles and signs is that it puts the gifts above the gifter. It's like, this father had no control over this situation, like, and neither do we when it comes to how God is going to act in our life, like, yeah, sometimes he does intervene in miraculous ways like he does here in this passage, but like, I don't know, like that's a gift. And he does it because he's trying to show us something more. Like we don't get to decide what he gives and when he gives it. All we can do is ask and then rest in the fact that like God is good and that his timing and his sovereignty, like those, those things are perfect. Like the point of this interaction isn't what Jesus can do for this guy. This is an opportunity for Jesus to show him not just what he can do, but who he really is. Like, he's trying to move this guy's faith along. Like, of course Jesus cares about saving the son. Like, Jesus is the good guy, right? But like, even more, he cares about saving the father. Like, he's addressing the bigger issue. He's not rewarding this guy's superficial faith. Rather, it's in the midst of this guy's inadequacy that Jesus is meeting him with patience and compassion. It's like he's graciously taking his superficial, his desperate faith, and he's building up in him a true saving faith. But like, how does that happen? Like, how does this guy's faith just go from being shallow to like something that is saving? Because like, even after he takes Jesus at his word, like he still doesn't really get who he is, right? Like he just still goes home believing Jesus was powerful, or maybe like he got lucky. I don't know. It's not until the next day in verse 53 uh, when he hears that his son has been healed and, uh, and he asks him what time he got better. 
And it says that he realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And so he and his whole household believed. Like it wasn't until he realized that it was undeniably Jesus that he believed, that it finally clicked for him. See, up until this point, like his view of Jesus is limited. Like he knew that Jesus was powerful and maybe that he was merciful and like seemingly like a good guy. Um, It's not that he didn't know the right things about Jesus. It's that it finally clicked in his heart who Jesus really is. Like in this moment, he realizes Jesus is God. You know, and John ends this passage by telling us then that this is the second sign that Jesus performed. And Brandon talked about it a bit when, uh, uh, back when Jesus performed his first sign uh, with the water and the wine and the wedding. You probably remember it. Um, at that wedding and here in this passage, Jesus doesn't refer to these displays of power as miracles. Like he calls them, very intentionally, he calls them signs. Because in John's gospel, Jesus' miracles aren't just displays of power. They're like these billboards that are on the highway that are pointing to something up ahead, like something way bigger. Like each of them revealing something important and unique about who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. And like I'd imagine sitting here this morning, like you aren't that surprised that Jesus could heal this guy's son. Like that's, it's impressive, but like that's not exactly new information to us that like Jesus is powerful in this way. It, It probably wasn't even new information for like John's original audience or the people who are even in this story experiencing it in real time. Uh, Like they've, they've seen him do this. But you see, John is trying to show us something much bigger. You know, in studying these signs in John, it's important that we not just look at what Jesus does, but how he goes about doing it. How does he do it? And so here Jesus doesn't go to the house. He doesn't like put his hands on the father or put his hands on the kid and like heal him or whatever. He doesn't give the father like divine special instructions or whatever. Like he just speaks He just says, your son will live. See, what John is doing here is he's pointing us back, back to the very beginning of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's pointing us back to the very beginning of Genesis. Like, in the beginning, God said, let there be life. Like, who else can speak life into existence but God himself, right? Jesus is showing this guy, he's the Word of God. Like, the one who was there in the beginning. And, And to Jews, like, God's word, the idea of God's word, like this was synonymous with uh, his, exercising, his, his exercise of his sovereign power and will. Like it was through his word that God brought about creation and destruction and judgment and salvation. And now here we are like two days after leaving Samaria and a day after this interaction that like Jesus is now, he's revealing to this royal official who the real king is. Like your boss may call himself king of this land, but like I was the one who formed this very ground. Like his father ordered the killing of all sons in an attempt to stop my coming, but the darkness didn't overcome me. And now on the third day, your son is risen. And you will know that it was the word of God, the outpouring of his very own power and authority and will that brought him back from the point of death. See, it's through revealing himself as the word of God that he's moving him from a worldly desperation to a deep, genuine saving faith. And that's the whole point of this interaction. Like, he saves the son, but more importantly, he saves the father and he saves the whole household. He's addressing the bigger problem. Because without knowing Jesus, like, and like, we're all like this son. Like, we're on the brink of death without hope. Like, we're miles away from God. We're running out of time. See, like, when we see who Jesus really is, like, when we really believe in who he is, like, that's the kind of faith that brings you back from the dead. It's like, this guy didn't come to Jesus having everything figured out. Like, what this guy had going for him wasn't the amount of faith that he had, but like who his faith was in. 
that's all he had. Like his faith wasn't that admirable. Like he wasn't pursuing God for selfless motives. Like he was just a desperate dad. And yet Jesus loves this man. He doesn't ask him to jump through hoops. He just meets him where he's at. He grants him the salvation that he's asking for, but more importantly, he grants him the salvation that he needs. That's what he does, right? Like that's what he did for me. Like I spent most of my life like these Galileans. Like I went to church, I heard the stories, like I had parents who taught me the right things, and I don't know, like I listened to Christian music and I lived like a pretty clean life, and I thought God and I were good. Man, I even remember like early on in college, like judging people who like called themselves Christians, and it was like really obvious that they weren't. Um, it's like I've seen you drink. Um, see, like I was familiar with Jesus, like we were cool. And it wasn't until I discovered, or it wasn't until I was, excuse me, I was invited to a Bible study. Um, by a guy named Aaron Morrow, and uh, I was confronted with the state of my heart that I realized that, like, my familiarity with Jesus, like, that wasn't enough. See, we were studying this passage where someone asked Jesus, like, what the most important commandment is, and I thought Jesus was going to say, like, thou shalt have no other gods before me, or, like, honor your mom and dad. Um, But he just says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And, like, instead of, like, an aha moment, like, I just felt, like, this pit in my stomach, because like many of these like second and third generation Christians that John is writing to, like I'd grown up my whole life around Jesus. And it was in that moment that I realized that that wasn't enough. And I had no idea what to do about that. Like how do you just start believing something that you don't, you know? Like it felt like somebody was telling me like, make your favorite food pancakes. But like you think pancakes are kind of overrated and they're kind of just like soggy bread. <laughs> like how could God just demand that I love him and then condemn me to hell if I don't. You know, and what I could have done is like, like I could have talked to God about that or I could have talked to Aaron about that and about what I was feeling. But uh, instead what I did, I just stopped going to that Bible study. Um, not the right move. Um, and it wasn't that hard because like I'd stopped going to a lot of things like class. Um, <laughs> I was two years into college and for like the first time in my life, like I was struggling with school like, I'd fallen out of touch with my friends. Like, I was living off campus by myself, and man, I was just, like, so lonely. Like, I'd fallen into this, just, like, like it, it felt like crippling depression. Like, I could barely get out of bed a lot of days, and there was, like, two or three times where I just didn't go anywhere, didn't go to class or whatever for, like, an entire week. I was starting, like, I wasn't talking to anybody. I was starting to get, like, these, uh, these voicemails and these emails from, like, my parents asking if I was still alive. Like, sure am. Um... Yeah, it didn't take a lot of convincing, me for, uh, convincing for me to go to that Bible study because, like, man, I just didn't have anything else going on. And, like, I knew I needed something. And it was, like, when I was faced with the reality of my faith, like, I found it was easier to just stop believing in God altogether. Like, who is he to demand that I love him? You know, and that lasted for, like, a couple of weeks because I was just, like, a really bad atheist. And, like, um, like I don't know, I just, like, grown up knowing too much about God and Jesus to, like, deny that they were real. And so I just decided, like, I'll be an agnostic, right? Like, I just won't care. Um, But after a while, like, that just started to kind of feel foolish, too. I was pretty sure God was real, and I should do something about that. I couldn't deny that he was real. And, like, to be honest, like, I kind of needed him to be real. Like, because my, I don't know, like, my my life was just a mess. Like, I bottomed out. And so one night I was uh, binging YouTube videos. uh, And I don't know where it started, but, like, by 1 a.m. I was watching uh, a recording of this sermon called Lukewarm and Loving It. And like, side note, I'm not sure if I can prescribe just like watching random YouTube sermons in the middle of the night. Like, maybe don't do that. Um, but like, this guy was preaching through this passage in Revelation where Jesus is, uh, he's talking to this church about their, how their faith is lukewarm. 
It's like neither hot nor cold, and they're about to be spit out of the mouth of God. And I started feeling that pit in my stomach again. God, like, I, yeah, I know I'm lukewarm. Yeah, that's me. Like, what do we do about that? Instead of turning it off, like, I kept watching. I felt like I just needed an answer finally to this. And at the end of that sermon, he prays for his congregation a prayer that Paul prays at the end of Ephesians 3. Um, and I ended up like, kind of just, like, praying it along for myself. It, um, it reads, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom on every family in heaven and earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God." Yeah, and like, I don't know, it wasn't like magic words or anything. I just like asked God to make me on fire for him. Like I asked him that I could know like that breadth and length and height and depth of his love for me. Like that love that surpasses knowledge. And like that moment, it felt like something in my heart clicked. Like a heart level, something changed. And like, I felt like this immense joy and like relief come over me. And it felt like, like this thousand pound weight had been taken off of my chest. And for the first time in it, like over a year, like I just, like that depression, I didn't really feel it anymore. And I don't know, like it felt like I was waking up for the first time, like somebody was finally taking me off of autopilot. Like it completely changed my life. Like not only did it like fix my issue with depression, but like it, it felt like I had finally like some, had something to live for. Like I didn't want to avoid people anymore, but like rather community started to feel like a risk that might be worth taking. I just like wasn't that anxious about what people thought about me anymore. And when I ended up getting involved with community and like a small group and started studying parts of the Bible that I'd heard a bunch of times before, like it felt like I was reading it for the first time. Like it was just finally clicking. Like it wasn't like I was just learning new stuff about God. It was like I felt like I was meeting him in his word. And it wasn't just like Bible studies and community. Like Jesus put me on a whole new path. Like this path that he put me on, like it led to me growing and flourishing like as a man and as a Christian. Like, it took me from avoiding Bible studies to like, being willing to say yes to leading one. Like, it took, I don't know, like it, it, that path, like it, it, it led, me, led to me getting my crap together and like, becoming somebody who was like, more reliable. Yeah, it led to me meeting my wife and being a part of this community. Man, like actually meeting Jesus and discovering who he really was, like for me that changed everything. And like, I didn't come to Jesus with pure motives. Like, credit to this guy for coming 20 miles. Like, I decided God wasn't real, like, a mile in, and I turned around. Like, and even when I knew Jesus was the answer, like, I still didn't love him. I was just desperate. I just needed somebody to come clean up my mess. Yeah, but it was, like, in his abundant patience and grace for me that, like, he was willing to show me who he really was. Like, he used my depression and my frustration and my desperation to show me who he really was the one who pursues us even when we're running the other direction, the one who has control over our hearts because he made them himself, the one who even when we're a far way off has the power to speak and bring us back from the point of death. Yeah, and that's, the kind of, like, that's what we're remembering when we take communion, the son who conquered death so that we might find true life in him. Yeah, the one who meets us where we're at in like, the middle of our crap so that like, in knowing him, we might experience a new kind of faith. 
like one that completely transforms everything about our lives. Like communion, it doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't save you. Like John is really clear in this passage that it's, it's only a true faith that comes from knowing Jesus like that saves you. But like rather communion is a chance for us to remember Jesus' body and blood broken and shed for us. And through like a saving faith in him, we might experience true life, both now, here, and for eternity. So like if you believe Jesus, like the word of God made flesh, sent to seek and save you, like go back and take communion as we worship. There's a couple tables in the back. You can dip the bread and the juice. But if you're here today and like you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet, like, man, like we're so glad you're here. You know, like hold off on taking communion though. Like God is not after religious ritual. He's not after like a head level knowledge about him. He cares about you. He cares about your heart. Like, communion might not be right for you, but like, Jesus is. Like, this community is. Like, we'd love to help you get to know him. So, as we sing and worship, like, talk to God. You know, like, John didn't just include this interaction with Jesus because, like, otherwise we wouldn't know how powerful he is. And he's inviting us to ask, what kind of faith do I have? It's like, what kind of faith do you have? Like, some of you are here this morning, your faith is like the crowds. Like, You're familiar with Jesus, but like maybe your heart isn't as convinced. Maybe you find Jesus interesting, or like being a Christian feels like it's the right thing to do, or just what you've always known. Like maybe you pray, but only like when you need something from God. Maybe you're here because you know Jesus is the answer, but like you don't even know what questions you're supposed to be asking. Like John's words here, they're meant to challenge you. You know, and it can be jarring when Jesus like he confronts you, but like he's not doing that because he's angry with you or he's trying to stick it to you, like. Like, he loves you, and he wants to move you to a faith that can actually save you. He's trying to wake you up from, like, a life spent on spiritual autopilot. He's offering you something so much bigger and more beautiful than anything you've experienced before. Like, talk to him about that. Like, ask him to give you a fire for him. Like, yeah, to wake you up and show you who he really is. And others of you, you're hearing your faith is like the officials at the beginning of this passage. Like, you are desperate. Like you feel like you're at the end of your rope and you don't know how long you can hang on. You feel like you're stuck in a hopeless situation. Maybe you're trusting that like Jesus is the one who can help you out of that. And you're, maybe you're wondering if you're like beyond his grace. Like, and like, know that Jesus isn't blind to your situation. Like God is not punishing you. In fact, like he might be using this to bring you closer to him. And like more than cleaning up your mess or like rescuing you from your problems, like Jesus cares about you knowing him. You know, like, maybe he will fix your problems, and maybe he won't. Like, we don't get to control that. You know, but he's the answer to your biggest problem, and he's longing to give you the best gift of all, like a real life through knowing who he actually is. And finally, like, others of you are here, and your faith is like the officials here at the end. Like, Jesus has graciously met you where you're at, and he's revealed himself to you about who he actually is, and, like, that's stirred up in you a saving faith. Like, Rejoice in that. Like, thank God for that. Like, worship him for that. But pray that that would not end in you. Like, talk to others about the ways that God has transformed your life. Like, I pray that, like, your kids and your friends and your spouse, like, that they would know the Jesus that you know. You know, like the Father, like, that your encounter with Jesus would result in many knowing who he really is for the first time. Yeah, let's pray. Yeah, Jesus, thank you for uh, saving the son and for saving this father. Yeah, thanks that you met them where they're, they're at and that you do the same thing for us. 
Yeah, thanks that you're the word of God and the one who has the power to bring us back from the dead. I just pray that as we worship you this morning, that we would see you for who you really are, that you'd help us to like look past the stories and the lore and just like see you. Yeah, like, just pray that you would like take our superficial and our desperate faith, and like you did with this father, that you would like create in us a deep, abiding, saving faith that like transforms us and that transforms this community and that transforms this city. Yeah, amen.